If you could uh, go with me to Jonah chapter 3, Jonah 3, that would be great. Skeet told me he teaches out of the ESV. I have a New King James, I have an NIV, and I have my New American Standard, and I wasn't going to go buy another Bible. So New American Standard is uh, what we're doing today. So Jonah chapter 3, we're going to do a little revival in Nineveh, if we could. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, I pray uh, that my words will not fall to the ground, that you'll give me the opportunity to be a Samuel and to say something that has value, to say something that people will be able to walk in. And uh, I pray that we'll be inspired by your reality. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Okay, my name's Paul. I work at Grace Fellowship United Methodist Church as a teaching pastor. Um, We Methodists are a mess, so pray for us. Uh, we're, we're, we're moving along. I work with the teenagers on Sunday nights. I teach them. I also teach for my pastor, Jim. I work with the college students last week and over the summers. I also, uh, we're doing a Bible seminary. We started the Bible seminary this fall, uh, in September. We have 12 students and that's fun. I teach a lot there. And I could go on and on. Oh, I'm 50 now, so I'm on a couple of boards. I think that's what happens when you're 50. Uh, one's for this guy named Jimmy Needham, who's an animal teacher or a musician. And also uh, Pine Beach Camp, which is opening in Destin, Florida. That's not a hard place to, to camp. So let me start with revival in Nineveh. We're going to just do a little background on Book of Jonah. Um, uh, in Jonah chapter 1, I actually have a chart in front of me. My pastor's an engineering nerd, so he, he likes charts. And if you want to go on the website, I'm sure you can get it. Chapter 1 is basically this. Jonah packs, all right? And I actually put them all in uh, the same word. Begins with a, the same word begins with a P, so in seminary, they're really proud of me. In chapter 2, I think uh, I have Jonah prays. He's in a fish, uh, not a whale. Um, it could be a whale, I don't know, and, and uh, uh, what is that? Uh, whoa, Veggie Tales. I have six kids, by the way. Um, veggie Tales. And because my wife's really pretty, that's part of the problem, but we'll keep moving on with that. <clears throat> she is. She's ridiculous, man. I mean, she just uh, ran another marathon. She wanted me to mention that it's only a half a marathon. It's like, man, when you get done with 10 miles, can't you just quit? I mean, you got the T-shirt, brah. Just move along. Uh, and then he's, uh, when he's in the uh, uh, whale, he, uh, uh, he also, he packs and then he's sleeping. And I find that interesting because... Uh, I've said before, if, if I'm at peace, if I'm asleep or at peace, then, then I'm good with God. And I want you to notice that Jonah, he's at peace. He's sleeping like a baby, whatever that really means, in the bottom of this boat. And he is diametrically opposed uh, from God's will. So be careful with my peace equals God's will. So chapter 3, we're going to have him preach in just a second. And then we're going to have in chapter 4, we won't get to that, he's going to pout. All right, so now chapter 3, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. If you can uh, go left with me, I'd like you to look at uh, chapter 1, verse 2, where God is, it says a second time, right? In 3, 3, uh, 1. And so in verse 
chapter 1, verse 2, it's, God has already said this to Jonah. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So this is his second time with Jonah telling him to go do something. So verse 2 again of chapter 3 says, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. No one knows exactly what a three days walk means. If they would like to say that, they really don't. So we'll just kind of move on. We know it's big. That's really what's going on. Uh, what I want to do something with the Assyrians is don't underestimate their sophistication. Uh, they were kind of like Everybody just thinks they're a bunch of barbarians, which half of them were, they were kind of half barbarians. The other side of them, from an architectural standpoint, from a mathematical standpoint, these gals and guys are, are, are animals. I mean, they're amazing, the things that they accomplished. Assyria is arguably the strongest nation on earth. Maybe you could argue with Egypt. From 1130, I'm not trying to bore you with this stuff, but from 1130 to 630 B.C., 500 years, yo. I'm from New York, by the way. 500 years, they are the most powerful nation on the face of this planet. I mean, I don't even know. We started in 1776. If I got my history right, it's 2013. We're not doing that. We just haven't been around that long. They've been around a long time and we're very, very uh, uh, powerful. Incredible amount of Assyrian history. Art is focused on violence. If you look at their stuff, they have reliefs of slaughter. I mean, we do pictures. I mean, I don't know if you put these things in your living room or whatever, but you have relief of slaughter. There's head, uh, head choppings. They like that. Flaying people alive. And then it also says uh, impaling on stakes. And plus there's hooks. In Amos chapter 4, verse 2, uh, Amos is basically going, you guys better better grow up and start walking with God. Or these Assyrian dudes are going to come down and, they're, and it's not going to go well. And so in, in Amos chapter 4 verse 2, you have, uh, they come down with hooks. And so what they would do is they would kill people, they'd leave them alive and then let them die and put them on meat hooks. And they also said they're, they're going to come with fish hooks. So basically what the Assyrians did was put a hook up through the roof of your mouth and it would come out underneath your nose, and that's how they, that's how they would grab you and pull you out of the city. And th- these people are, they're amazing. They're amazing. So, we have, the goal for these folks was to conquer the world. That's their job. They did a pretty good job of it. In order to, for all to worship Assur, that's the king. Assyria, Assyria, that, that's the goal. Everybody worships the uh, Assur, and then the king, like an Egyptian pharaoh, he's half God and half man. So the Assyrian king is half God and he's half man. And so his real goal, if he'd be honest, was not for everybody to worship Assur. It was his real goal, because he's kind of like an Assur mini-me. His real goal was to get everybody to worship him. That was his goal. And if, it, if you did, I guess he'd be nice to you. And if not, you got hooks through your mouth and, and, and thrown on a meat hook. This guy's a tough dude. Prior to the time of Jonah, this is really interesting because I only found this out about a year ago. The nation of Assyria, and they're weak right now. 
this nation is weak before Tiglath Pileser comes on board, and he's a he's a rip. But they're going, they're sitting around and weren't saying this too loud. Maybe there's just one God. Because this polytheistic God system that we have doesn't seem like it's working real well. And the king wants me to worship him. He doesn't seem like he'd be, he's somebody that, that is really worth worshiping much. So they weren't saying aloud again, but they're sitting around going, man, maybe there's just one God. Maybe this is just a bunch of hogwash. I don't know why we're, why, why we're worshiping all, all of these things. Nineveh was more than a fortress, uh, was more of a fortress than a city. If we could, go to me to chapter 3, verse 4. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk. And he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh, notice this, believed God, believed in God, and they called a fast, They put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. And when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. Then he issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let man and let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in their in his hands. Who knows? That's a great line. God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. When God saw their deeds, notice that that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Jonah's preaching and Nineveh's repentance is really what we're doing in these verses. I want you all to notice, Jonah preaches a simple message of judgment. I don't remember the Bible saying anything. It's one verse. He says one verse. Hey, yo, yeah, yeah, you, you, you better repent or you're going to get judged. He didn't go to a seminar. I used to put on uh, evangelistic seminars. He didn't go to a seminar. Jonah did not have any training for the most part. And the weird thing about this guy, he doesn't even like him. If you notice the book of Jonah, you're familiar with it. He doesn't even like him. And he just said, hey, one thing. Hey, y'all, yeah, you're real wicked. You're filled with violence. And you're a mess. And you're going to be, you're all going to die. That's it. He, he didn't turn the spirit, the conversation into spiritual things. Just walked in there. Hey, hey, you're all going to die. Because you're wicked. Oh, I don't like the way that, that message was delivered. Didn't ask you. Didn't ask you. You didn't say anything. Notice that's one verse. That's it. That's it. Why did they repent? Because they knew they were wicked. They knew it. We're working so hard in this nation, man. We'll do anything. We'll say it nice enough for you. 
America, would you please come to church? Really? Hmm. Interesting. America could use a Jonah or two. I don't know how big his church would be. That'd be okay. I'd attend. Maybe. For at least for a while. Although his sermons were pretty simple. Just one thing. The result is what? The king and people in the scriptures say it believed. And people in commentaries will go, well, they, they, weren't, they weren't really saved. They didn't really believe. Yeah, they did. Because the word believed in Jonah 3 is the same word for believed that Abraham believed God in Genesis 15, 6. And, and that is used as an illustration of faith in Romans 4. So were they really saved? Absolutely. How did they get saved? I'm wicked. I'm going to get judged. I'm believing in Yahweh. And that's it. And then the funny thing is, he's like, hey, hey, everybody, yeah, put on some sackcloth. Throw some ashes on your head. And then he gets the, 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 like the animals to repent. It's like, I live in Katy. <laughs> and and uh, it, right now, everybody likes to put little sweaters on their dogs. I just love that. It's so cold. They have hair all over them, man. I mean, how does he get the dogs? In the, I mean, this king is like, I mean, I think he's got like a cat repenting. I have no idea how to get a cat repent. He's got the dogs repenting. He's got the cows repenting. Cows are sitting there with ashes over their head. And he says something really interesting. Verse 9. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. Who knows can also be perhaps. In, in Zephaniah, which is a, a, a riot because God's saying, I'm going to kill all the fish. So when God's like mad at the fish, you might want to be careful. And then it also says here in Zephaniah, perhaps. Let's repent. Perhaps. Maybe God will relent. No. Maybe. In uh, Matthew chapter 12, 40 and 41. Um, may, maybe if I go to the right instead of the left, I could get to Matthew. It says a couple things because Jesus is going to comment on this. 1240. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the what? Judgment. And will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater then Jonah is here. At the time of Jonah, the Ninevites repented, but Israel did not. The main purpose of this, this whole thing of Jonah is that there's this guy, this king named Jeroboam II, and they're just making a whole lot of money, and they're like, woo, God must be real happy with us. And so Jonah goes to the, to the bad guys, and they repent. At the same time, the northern kingdom of Israel does not repent. 
There are people all over this world right now in unreached peoples reaching those peoples. And you want to know what they preach? Hey, repent. If you're in India or Indonesia, ultimately somebody's got to tell somebody to repent. Where did we lose that in our proclamation? I know some people are here, well, well that, that's just not going to work. I had a friend, he goes, man, man, Paul, no one's going to listen in, in France, he was in France, to your preaching. They, they, they don't like that preaching style. And I'm like, okay, I'm a jerk. I'm okay with that. I'm not okay with that, but I am. When has France or Europe listened to the gospel in hundreds of years, for the most part? But on the other side, people are preaching repentance all over the world. And people are coming by the thousands to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, to receive a peace that does transcend all understanding, and to have eternal life forever that begins today, an abundant life. But they don't play a game. All they're doing is going, hey, you got to repent. You got to repent. I know that word doesn't go over well with us much anymore. Because my fear is that at our time, other nations are repenting and we are not. At the same time, Jonah was a great prophet. But we have something greater than Jonah is here. And his name is Jesus. And he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I'd love to chat with anybody about that. Love to. There was a Scottish revival from 1949 to 1953. It was led by two sisters. One was blind and a preacher named Duncan Campbell. And Campbell, I'm going to quote him a little bit. He says this about revival. First, let me tell you what I mean by revival. An evangelistic campaign or special meeting is not revival. In a successful evangelistic campaign or crusade, there will be hundreds or even thousands of people making decisions for Jesus Christ. Watch this. But the community remains untouched. We can have another revival that we go, hey, we're going to have a revival at Tom Ball Bible Church on blah, blah, blah. But does the community change? That's the question. I do not believe that this church is satisfied. I do not believe that my church back in Katy is satisfied. I do not believe that the church as a whole in the United States of America is satisfied. I think that if I could be honest, and you be honest, we want to see the power of the Holy Spirit move in our communities with such a, a radical power that we, are, that, that, that we just get to step back and go, man, smells like God now. Smells like God in here. Revival. In revival, God moves in the district. Suddenly, the community becomes God conscious. How did it start? 
This is an amazing thing. I know that Skeet, I think it was last spring, was doing some revival stuff. If you ever want to have fun, just Google revivals, great revivals. They're awesome. Revival started with an honest assessment of the spiritual pulse of the church. I'm going to say that again. Revival started with an honest assessment of the spiritual pulse of the church. Apathy within the church and abandonment by the youth of the land. This is Campbell. For the most part, I've probably given more gospel presentations at more camps. I've been to every Baptist encampment in East Texas, Louisiana, West Virginia, uh, all the way to Maryland. And then we give, uh, and it's, you bring them out on Monday, by Thursday, that's kind of like, uh, that's the night that you uh, open the door and they're supposed to come forward. And they come forward by the hundreds and the thousands, if not the tens of thousands, and I have tons of people, not here, yippee, yahoo, yay, me. But the bottom line is, they go back to their communities and they change little or nothing. But we keep doing it. Are we saying repent? What are we going after? There's a growing influence of carnal pleasure in the land is what Campbell is talking about. How do we start? How do we start? Intercessory prayer for personal and parish-wide repentance. Every single revival in history, for the most part, has teenagers young people involved. Everyone. The churches were filled with an expectation around the manifest presence of God. They expected things. I got to see like this mini revival in a Bible church over in Richmond, Texas. We had like the same amount of teenagers. It was like 150, but it was the same amount of adults in the church. I saw this mini revival. You want to know what was awesome? is that every night before we did this thing was called truth. And every time, every time for years, I had at least 15 or more kids out with their faces in the stinking dirt, praying that God would move. Because my friend Mike Ash, uh, he's a charismatic. By the way, I'm a dispensational reformed charismatic Wesleyan, by the way. And I can prove all of those biblically. Ha! Are you a dispensationalist? When Apostle Paul asks, thanks. Thanks. These kids would pray because uh, Mike Ash once said, he was praying before he came in to lead worship. What an animal. And he's like, I'll never forget this prayer. He said, Father, Holy Spirit, please show up or let me know that you're not going to. Because if you're not going to, I want to go home. Isn't that rich? He wasn't trying to be wise. He meant it. We prayed that the Holy Spirit would move. We expected to pray for kids. We expected young people to come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, to be discipled and to grow in him and to make a stand in this wicked and violent nation. You want to know something? With grand expectation, I think God's like, I like that. I like that. I like that a lot. Repentance was preached and it was accepted at this revival in 1948. The entire culture of the community, it just changed. 
Another quote, the people could not tell what it was that had brought them. They were coming to this little church in the middle of nowhere. It had been directed by the Spirit of God. Campbell says, I spoke for a few minutes on the text and God commanded all men everywhere to repent, Acts 17.30. One of the ministers, while he's pre- after he preached, stopped me and said, come see this. At the end of the meeting house, the most notorious characters in the community were on their faces crying out to God. Love that. And the whole thing started with prayer. See, these two older women, one blind, one not. And then this other dude, he's like going out to his barn, praying all the time in the straw at night. He's like, God, Holy Spirit, Jesus, you guys show up. We're dead. We're dead. I'm reading my Bible and I'm looking at what's going on. And this isn't adding up. We're dead. He was honest about the reality of the spiritual condition of what's going on. Love that. Revival will not come to our cities, folks. If the church keeps talking endlessly about our problems. The blind lady in Scotland did not focus on her physical blindness, but the town's spiritual blindness. She's in her 80s, early 80s. She's breaking down. She can't see. She has no dental insurance, no health insurance. And she's like, God, just show up. She said this to Campbell when he, when he came in. She's like, Pastor Campbell, how's your heart, man? Because if you're not right with God, hush, hush. You got to get right with God first, man. I'm teaching the book of Leviticus. Notice how many times in Leviticus, well, I'm sure you guys all read that in Chronicles a lot. Um, it says to the priest, get right with God, make a sacrifice before you do anything else. You can't do sacrificial system unless you're right with God. And these two dudes named Nadab and Abihu, they just, nah, I'll do whatever I want. I'll do some strange fire. Wham! And Moses looks at his brother and says, God said he'd be called holy and walked out. Where did the reverence and the power and the majesty of God go? Ah, I missed that. Jeremiah 23:22 Jonah John the Baptist Jesus the apostles all preached repentance Calvin Wesley Campbell preached repentance I'm not saying that we have the right to be bitter mean uh, messed up Jonas but when are we ever going to go back to preaching repentance because repentance works and on the other side I asked the United States of America, I ask Christianity, how's the gospel without repentance working for you? How's it doing? Because the bottom line answer is not much. And I need to repent. Because I remember last night, I'm praying that God would do something special today. I went through this thing when I was teaching teens that I just stopped doing that. I lost faith. I lost expectation that God was going to do something uncommon. Waiting for somebody to say, nice sermon, or you, I hate you. One of the two. But they earn the right to be heard from God 
before God brought the people to here is what happened. Dallas Willard, who's kind of, I'm both, he's all over the place, but I get a kick out of him. He writes this, hell is not an oops or a slip. One does not miss heaven by a hair. Watch this. But by a constant effort to avoid and escape God. Some people might not like that. I'm all right with that. Read Romans 1. That's what I would do. Romans 1 and the book of Amos would prove that to be right. See, well, here's the cool part. Preaching repentance gives people the opportunity to escape judgment. Just as a man is designed, destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, that's what Hebrews 9.27 says. I have this uh, friend who's one of my bosses. I have a lot of bosses, a lot of jobs. He asked this question. We're, we're having a normal conversation. And uh, he's from this weird place called Georgia, and he's got this Georgia accent, and I'm sure he thinks I'm a rip too. And, and we're just talking normal, and he said this. What have you repented of, Paul? That's a great question. See, now, now that's illegal, by the way. Because in the evangelical church, you can't ever ask anybody what they've repented of. And number two, God forbid we ever question somebody's salvation. Let's not do that. You can question my salvation all day long. Because if you can't see the fact that Jesus is Lord and Savior of my life, then you need to say, I love, man. I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you're at. And that's okay. Because I have a friend, uh, uh, Wayne, I love this guy, in Florida as well. And he's like, hey, Paul, I'm just reading the scriptures and looking at my life, and it just doesn't measure up. He's like, sometimes I don't even know if I know God. And I say, Wayne... You know, no one asks that question that doesn't know God. No one questions that they don't know God. And I know, oh, number three, don't ever doubt. I doubt. John the Baptist doubted. I just think that we need to take a look at ourselves. Oh, great prayer. I tried not to pray it a long time, but ultimately it says this, examine my heart. You want to have one prayer, one takeaway? Just ask God, Lord, Yahweh, maker of heaven and earth, I come humbly before you, for you are God and there is no other. And I'm scared of myself because I look in the mirror and I scare me. Could you examine my heart, Father? You asked that prayer, I did. Problem is he does. You will examine your heart. And then your motives get disclosed. And I come to the conclusion that I don't know if I've had a real good prayer motive in my life. Working on that. Working on that. Paul, what have you repented from? After he said that to me a while ago, I uh, went to Psalm 51. I'm going to rock out with this. I'm just going to read it. 
I don't know who you are. I've repented from a lot of things. I'm a messed up guy. Here's my soteriology. God, out of his infinite, maximum, crazy, scandalous love for me, he dragged me out of a pit that I dug for myself. That's his business. But he's waiting for us all to maybe put our faces in the dirt and be a face faller. Psalm 51, be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. I prayed this. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and behold, in sin, my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being and in the hidden part, you will make me no wisdom. Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the glory of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. And then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will can be converted to you. Father, I pray um, that Psalm 51 becomes a reality for every one of us and that you will change us. Father, I pray that we will spend time in the Psalms slowly and pray that we will desperately call out to you in light of the reality in which we have found ourselves. Father, we want to see this community oh so get so large in its rejoicing and its praise and its worship of who you are in every aspect of our lives. You are God and there is no other Amen.